the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we are going to Chicago to talk with Chris Walker, the president and chief commercial officer of Hoodie, which is an analytics company, cannabis sales intelligence platform. Chris, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today. I am thrilled to be here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So are you in Chicago proper or are you in the Chicago area? I am in the Chicago area. Um, I'm I'm in an area right right now. Unfortunately, that was publicized. It's, it's Highland Park. Oh, um, okay. So, yeah. So I'm I'm uh, in the north northern burbs. I live uh, in the Ravinia area, but yeah, in in in, Hi- in Highland Park. Okay. Yeah. I have I've had a uh, family in Evanston and also in Lake Forest. But my uh, my cousin I used to visit as a kid lived on Chestnut, like right next to where the Crate and Barrel used to be. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure I know where the crate and barrel used to be. <laughs> I've been here, I've been here about ten years, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a great, it's a great part of the world. So, oh. Uh, cl- close, close to the lake, and uh, a nice, diverse community, and it, it's, it's a good spot in the world. Good yeah. The world. Oh yeah. I, I miss the Great Lakes. That the crate and barrel was like right by Water Tower Place. Where were you before you were in Chicago? I was in sunny Australia, actually. So uh, I, I was in uh, Australia, New Zealand for about the eight, eight years prior to uh, relocating here. Oh, that's cool. I actually had um, somebody from Australia who's um, who's doing a lot of work in cannabis uh, come visit a few years ago when I was uh, chair of the well, co-chair of the San Francisco Legalization Task Force, and I took him to some meetings with me so that they could see what we were doing, and he was like, whoa, and I I, I keep seeing him doing things, and I have great hopes for cannabis in Australia in the future. Yeah, I, I think it'll be here sooner sooner than we think, and uh, New, Z- New Zealand as well. I know there's uh, there's referendums that we're talking about right now. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm not I, I'm not as dialed into that area as I used to be, but um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's another good part of the world. Yeah. Do you like wine? Yeah. I do like wine. I'm uh, I'm more beer now, but I like I like wine. I'm uh, I I drink a lot of wine in uh, in that part of the world. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Cause when I worked in consulting, I had a, a consultant that had spent a lot of quality time in Australia, and he was like, "You have no idea how good the wines are that they keep to themselves." Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because like I uh, I I had a I'm a very good friend who's uh, you know he he's a wine aficionado and very common on the speaking circuit in the in the alcohol space in uh, in Australia and so I would often have dinner with him and he'd just bring these amazing wines and so I I got I got at least somewhat dangerous with my ability to pick great Australian and New Zealand wines and then I I come back to uh, to the states, and I'm going to to Benny's, Benny's the local local uh, you know liquor liquor store here, looking on the shelf, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know any. There's so much wine here that I have no idea about. You know, I'm sure these are some great California Chardonnays, and but I've only been drinking like Australian New Zealand wines for like eight years, <laughs> so I felt I felt like a, I felt like a kid again. But. Well, if you come out to California, my husband Jeff and I, we we love wine, and we have a lot of winemaker friends. So nice, you know. Well, we'll although I'm sure that you can become well versed on your own. We could have some really good experiences with some wine, have a lot to talk about. That sounds amazing. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> right on. And also, you know, one thing I was thinking about when we were talking about that in Australia is as things start to loosen up, just like in California here, I'm wondering how many conversations are going to start having about Appalachians and terroir. That could be some really think, cool stuff. Yeah, I fully, fully agree. Um, and, you know, and I mean, you, you're yeah, fully, fully aligned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I always like to start with a, a question for my guests, you know, and I always, I would say, if you're comfortable talking about it, but what was your first cannabis experience? Um, I'm going to, I guess I'm, I'll start with my, uh, my consumption experience because my, uh, my first experience is uh, a, a, a friend of mine who I got kind of lift with uh back to school and uh, I was wondering why he was driving so slow the whole time. And, uh, and anyway, it, it turned, turned, turns out that, uh, he, he had partaken 
way too much uh, on the on uh, you know before uh, before picking me up, and so that was that was really my first my first <laughs> train, and uh, it was a little bit of an odd experience. But um, uh, anyway, we made it there. We made it there safely and under control, and uh, you know. But uh, I it 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 was I I went I went to school in Virginia, and uh, you know, and and you know, I had I had you know quite a few. Uh, friends that i i hung out with um you know who who were very you know very everyday everyday users and so they they did introduce it to me and i i don't know that i've got a memorable like single moment where um it hits because uh you know it, it was it was kind of a, a a gradual thing as uh, as you you know you you just it, you're experimenting in college along with everything else you're doing in college and you know and i i went uh I, I went along with it and, you know, and so I will say, and, you know, so that was kind of my, uh, my, my journey into it. And, you know, and then honestly, honestly, I traveled the world for a while and, you know, and there's, there's not a lot of availability in other, other places, um, you know, as, uh, as you might find here. So um, it's been kind of a, a rebirth into the, into the space over the past 10 years and coming back to the country. That's cool. Yeah. I, um, I definitely, experimented with it and and partook when I was in in Michigan but it was such a a hush hush thing then and yeah yeah you know, moving to California I I ended up living in the hate when I got here and I was amazed when people would walk by and I'd get like these this wafting cannabis smoke and I was like oh, wait no one's getting busted <laughs> this is this is interesting <laughs> <laughs> and now nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. So what got you into the cannabis industry? Because when I was looking at your bio, I noticed that you've you've done work with Nielsen and I'm just kind of wondering like how that all comes together because we all we all get into this work in, in interesting ways. Like I love seeing the connects. So it it's uh I, I you know truth be told I, I stumbled into it somewhat um, so I, I as you said I, I was with uh, I was with Nielsen for many years and uh, I had a great great experience with them and uh, you know I was able to travel the world and help lots of brands like Coca-Cola Nestle and Procter and Gamble and Unilever and all, all these real big brands you know grow their business um, leveraging data and technology and um, and so that you know that's that was really what shaped me as a, as a professional and it's kind of what drove a passion in me and in innovation. And, uh, you know, while Nielsen's a big company, I had the fortune of really being able to, to drive a lot of the product development and the experimentation and, and work that they were doing out in Australia, um, when I was there. And so, uh, you know, so I, I, I came back to the U S um, it's about, been about 10 years now. And, uh, I was I did some global roles with Nielsen for a, a few years before kind of going out and, and starting my own firm about five years ago and and the general goal that we had with uh, you know with that it was called Big Chalk Analytics and it's still it's still a, a wonderful company and it's doing great work uh, today um, but the goal with Big Chalk was to really help emerging brands and emerging channels develop out their CPG toolkit. Um, and we, we, you know, obviously my background and, and my partners largely came from that world as well. Um, and, you know, and again, we had that experience of, of really leveraging data to help grow brands. And, and we, you know, you could just see so much opportunity in it in, uh, you know, in, in these emerging spaces like direct to consumer businesses, um, you know, and, uh, and, and like an, an industry like cannabis. Right. And, and so uh, I was fortunate to uh, get brought into um, an, an MSO uh, that's based here in Chicago by a, a former colleague um, that I've worked together as one of my clients at Nielsen. Um, and, you know, and I remember going in my, uh, the, the first meeting and, uh, you know, there, you know, I was talking to the CEO and a couple of the other, the other executives about all of these amazing things that you can do with data and, you know, driving analytics and, uh, you know, and, you know, figuring out your pricing strategies and, you know, how you've got to measure every, every marketing expense you're doing to figure out what's the, going to generate the greatest ROIs for you and had all this, all these fancy things. And, uh, you know, the, the CEO was like, well, Chris, I, I love all that, but, um, can we just start with just just giving me a report of my of my you know from my markets because I don't know I don't know how much money I'm making right now because I've got I've got businesses in all these different states under different systems and I have no way of managing my business right now so it was just kind of a wake up call to say hey we're 
you know, we need we need to go we need to go back to basics and um, and you know and, and that was you know but it was kind of the first you know first meeting and you know several years later um, you know they were sold to uh, to another large MSO and um, you know and we did some amazing things with uh, you know with them to really help help build out their technology strategy and you know help them make make a whole bunch of decisions you know that they may not have made otherwise leveraging data and insights and. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it was that initial entree into, you know, into into cannabis through this company that, you know, made us realize that, hey, this this is an industry that's really evolving very, very quickly. Um, you've got some amazing talent and, and leaders that have come into this industry from places where they had data and they had tools like that we're that we're familiar with and that that we can help bring to life for them. Um, and you know, and so we, uh, we, you know, I, I, you know, as a result of that, we kind of parlayed that into other uh, cannabis brands and, and MSOs. And I, I've really been working almost exclusively in the space now for three and a half, four years. Um, and it was a, uh, you know, again, it was an opportunistic move initially, but I, you know, there's no turning back now, and we're we're super excited with, uh, you know, with what we've been able to contribute to the industry uh, as a result. So that's that's kind of how I got into it. Um, there's a there's a an additional story about talk, talk, talking about the birth of hoodie, but uh, I can get into it uh, later on in the conversation if you like. I think now is a great time because that was actually my next question. All right. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> um, so you know, so so one of the things that we you know we recognize pretty early on in our engagements with these cannabis MSOs um, is that they had a lot of great first party data, you know, they were able to, you know, understand, I shouldn't say great, but they had a lot of first party data. Uh, they needed a lot of help to kind of get it cl cleaned up and to be able to utilize it. Um, but there was a, there was an abundance of data from their own dispensaries and their own sales into, into uh, their, you know, the accounts that they were calling on. Um, but, but trying to really understand what was happening outside of the four walls of their business was, it, it was, it, it was very challenging. Um, you know, there, you know, there were some, um, you know, some other players in the space that were trying to provide um, some level of insight as to, as to what the mark, broader market trends were, but they tended to be at very high levels. The data was delivered, you know, pretty, you know, pretty far after it happened. Um, and, and it just, it, and as a result of kind of the, the lack, and then in many cases that they didn't even exist for a bunch of states. Um, and so as a result of that, it just wasn't very actionable. Um, and so we we kind of, and you know, my background being with Nielsen, it was all about understanding what's happening in the market. What are the trends? What do we need to, you know, how, how, how are we doing relative to our competition and how can we, how can we always grow our market share and all this kind of good stuff. And, you know, and so just without having that rich market data available, there's something we were constantly on the lookout for. Um, and, you know, so fast forward, you know, a couple of years into, into these engagements and, you know, the, uh, you know, the whole world was hit, hit with COVID, which is obviously a terrible thing. Um, but one thing that COVID did do for, for the industry is that it basically forced every dispensary to, uh, you know, to move, to move their businesses online in order to ensure that, you know, their customers continue to have an amazing shopping experience. Um, and so, you know, so to survive almost, you know, the small guys, smallest guys, the largest guys, all, all basically had to have to create these online storefronts where, which are basically mirror reflection to what was happening inside their four walls um, and inside their dispensaries. And so, you know, around that same time, I was introduced to, uh, you know, Wes Shepard, who's my co-founder um, and, you know, and Wes had spent, you know, the past five years of his life. Uh, basically building uh, this amazing technology platform, which was great at basically going out and and and, and mining e-commerce, you know, menus and e-commerce websites, um, and you know, for large brands like Sony and Hasbro and you know, big these big big brands uh, globally, and and so he'd go out and he'd capture all this data to help Sony and these and these companies figure out. You know how their how their brands are being merchandised and priced and promoted on on these e-commerce websites around the world. Um, to to allow, obviously manage that manage that. So you know in order to achieve that, the platform had to be really exceptional, like grabbing that data and then obviously rapidly organizing it into useful information. Which you know it, I'm simplifying it in you know it, and dumbing it down here, but it's a it's that's 
it's a it's an impossible task and you know that takes you know machine learning and artificial intelligence and all of these other fun big buzzwords um, to do but wes is a, a guru in the space and it built this amazing platform and so i had the opportunity to, when i met wes uh you know to basically you know basically a light bulb moment came off where we said hey you know the whole industry is now online and we you've got this amazing platform that can do these brilliant things i i bet there's a way that we could work together to uh to really provide unique actionable data in you know about the market to the industry and uh and so we we did exactly that um and so we uh you know we shook hands and formed a partnership and we spun off the cannabis practices for both of our companies and uh, created what is now hoodie analytics and you know we're now uh i don't know a year and year and change into the business and you know we've been you know we can't be more pleased with uh you know the reception that we've had in the market uh, we're you know we're working with probably you know half of the mso's that are out there and some of the most exciting brands but also you know a whole bunch of emerging brands and emerging dispensaries that you know are you know, just want to know what's happening at the the couple dispensaries across the street from them and uh it's been it's been really fun to to really provide you know what we feel is is a best in class toolkit you know to you know cannabis which is this exciting emerging industry you know to allow you know operators and brands to be making data driven decisions um you know many cases for the first time so that's uh that's that's the origin story for you sarah that's awesome i mean it's you know you think about like well i've been in the industry now for a decade and when i started it was you know uh people who were brokers or the growers themselves showing up with you know their bags of cannabis, sitting down with the buyer, going through it, purchasing it. And you, you had, like like you said, we knew what our inventory was. We knew what sold. But back then, like the culture itself, people weren't talking to each other and sharing, yeah. you know, what was working and what wasn't working. And I love that it's opening up more. And you brought up a point around the fact that there has been uh, a definite lag in information with the data in the past. And one thing yep. that I noticed, especially like looking on LinkedIn, when people present old data as current news and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting because I'm in the midst of it and I know that's not necessarily so. Uh, when you're looking at that, you, you, you're basically doing like, how, how tight is the window for your data? Like how, if, if like I was to pull a report on my business today, how old would it's the data ne be? It's next day. Next it's day. Next day. So yeah. So if you uh, if you pull if you know you pull something this morning, it it you know it, it's reflective of what happened yesterday. So it's it's very it's the very next day, um, which is you know and and that's you know our mantra is all about actionability. You know we want to make sure that you know I I mean data shouldn't be shouldn't exist for the purpose of admiring your performance, right? Uh, you know it should be there to empower you to make decisions. And so, you know, you need to know that, you know, if you're, you know, you know, if you're, you're running a, a major brand, you need to know that, you know, 25% of your dispensaries just, just slashed your price by 30% yesterday. You know, that's, that's something you need to know. And, and candidly, you also need to know if your competitors just did it because that's also going to impact your sales and your planning and everything else. And, uh, you know, and that's, it's, it's all, you know, in our world, you know, um, you know, it's very common for folks to say, hey, help me understand the ROI of your business and ROI of the investment in Hoodie. And, you know, the nice thing about, you know, the way that we're working is, and the data that we have, it's very easy to get that ROI because every data point that we provide has a very specific action that can, that can occur as a result of, you know, being informed by that data. Um, and, you know, and, and that's, it, our world is all about actionability. And that's, that's what I think really separates us from others in the space. Yeah, it can be really difficult for people to determine ROI on their own, because they don't necessarily understand all the components that come into it. Agreed, agreed. And, and it's, it's not, um, you know, it's funny, I, I, I answered this question as, you know, from, uh, you know, one of our, one of our partners earlier today was, you know, there, there's some, there's a, it's a tough market out there. And, uh, you know, so I, questions posed to me is like, how are, how's everyone reacting? And, um, you know, and, and, you know, this, yeah, short answers, I, you know, there's, there's many different ways that, that brands and dispensaries are reacting to the, the I'll call it tightening of the belt that's happening in, in many markets in cannabis right now. Um, you know, but one of the, one of the biggest things is, is 
you know, the leadership is holding all of the business stakeholders much more accountable for ensuring that every dollar they spend it has a payback and has that ROI. And so, you know, I, I was, uh, I was telling this, this uh, gentleman I was talking to earlier today, I was like, I, I swear I've been asked about the R the ROI and the ROI stories for a data more in the past two weeks than I have in like the last six months. It's, uh, you know, but you know, but honestly, it's great. I love that from the industry because it's great discipline. It's like, that's, that's how you want to be working. You want to be, you should not be spending money if you don't know what it's going to do for you and the action it's going to drive. And, you know, in our case, you know, we're fortunate that we believe spending, spending those dollars with hoodies is going to give you a, a real ROI and um, will allow you to do more with less. will allow you to make better decisions. will ultimately allow you to make more money. And so, you know, that's uh, but I, I think that discipline is, is a, is a good thing for the industry. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's interesting because you think that, um, you know, we always talk about recession-proof industries. And as we know, it's like some people are announcing that we may be in a recession. People, we're in a recession. This is what's going on. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's like, you know, cannabis in a perfect world would be recession-proof, except that we have all these other factors that are coming into play. We have policies that give us a disadvantage to other industries, especially with around, you know, taxation and especially like business taxes, things like that. But then we also have, because we are a growing industry where in certain areas there is a lot of competition. So we're still kind of seeing like, I always, I go back to like my orgasite roots when I look at like storming, norming and reforming and we're definitely (laughs) somewhere (laughs) in there, (laughs) depending where you are. But I could also see like, the the reporting not only being great for tightening that up, especially in times like these, not that it's not a necessity every day, because it certainly is, but also for newer companies or companies that are putting out products, but they're also still in the midst of development, like really seeing what's going on and also what the response is to what they've put out already. Yeah, completely. Um, and, and that's, that's the, you know, that's the fun thing about it is like these newer, these newer emerging companies right now. And, and by the way, some of these newer emerging companies, they're being, they're being driven by some of the smartest people you'll ever meet. Right. And um, I mean, they, that have made conscious decisions to say, this is the industry I want to be in. I've got a passion for the plant and I've got a passion for the industry. And, and, and yet they are some amazing business people. And, and some of them, you know, will come at, at this with a, you know, I'll call it an experimental mindset. You know, they want to test everything that they're doing, and you know, and, and that's that is that is a culture that does not exist across across the space. You know, so you know, being able to really say, hey, I, you know, everything I'm going to do, I'm going to do it three times because I'm going to I'm going to test three different versions of this of this new product development, this new package design, this new uh, this new way of of marketing to my customers, and you know, but the you know, there's plenty of research and, uh, you know, and data that will show that, you know, those emerging companies that have really led with experimentation as a, as a key pillar come out ahead in the end. And, you know, and that's, you know, and again, we're being selfish in the data business. Um, you know, data, data is, is really the tool that allows them to understand, you know, the, you know, the successes or the challenges with each one of those experimentations and, and the hypotheses that they're trying to prove. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I you know like when I um when we first started having people kind of reaching out and asking about data, I you know, I work I'm the public education officer for the Apothecarium, which is owned by Terrasen, which is an MSO. Yep. Um, but back when we were just the Apoth <laughs> we yeah. would have people that'd be like, Hey, you know, we want to work with you, give us your data and it's like data's money. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, but it's yeah, ter- what were yeah. you going to say? No, I said that Terra Center are great. They're great folks, and uh, they are they're great users of data as well. So I uh, ho- hopefully they're 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 setting the path in the right way. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been very interesting. Like growing up, growing up in yeah. the cannabis industry, like going from you know a well-run mom and pop to because yeah. it was family owned to actually getting into something that's more of a corporate structure. And for me, it's not an unfamiliar thing because my, my early years 
working, you know, professionally was in corporate. I, I moved to civil rights later and then went into cannabis, kind of a, a fluke, much like, you know, not the same kind of fluke that you had, but a fluke nonetheless, because if you told yep. me 12 yep. years ago, I'd tell you you were nuts. <laughs> <laughs> working in cannabis, <laughs> but we find we find the work that drives us in the strangest of ways. But it is it's a it's a very interesting thing to see the growing of an industry and seeing all these these talented people coming in that are like, oh, I have something to to lend to this. And as this is developing, I'm seeing that this is missing and the opportunity to to innovate and change systems. Yeah. And and I honestly believe that you know. Doing it right, we can change the way we do business across many platforms. Because I remember in the '90s when you know technology, like I mean, technology was booming before that, but that was when we had the first dot com boom. It changed a lot of the ways that we did business because it was so influential. And I think because of the cannabis industry growing in, you know, there's so many states that if they don't have, if they aren't fully legalized, they at least have a medical program. Yeah. we're seeing a shift in commerce in the way we do business. I, yeah, I completely, completely agree. And, uh, and I, I think, I think the opportunities that come out of that for innovation are, are immense. And, you know, and we are, you know, it's, I, one of the questions I often get is like, you know, is, you know, are, is there a, you know, are, are there challenges with, uh, you know, with the cannabis industry because of its immaturity and it's, you know, and, and it's, it's fragmentation and, and, and the answer to that certainly is like, yes, there are some challenges some challenges with everything, but, but, you know, the other side of it is it, it, it fuels innovation. Like, I, I mean, you know, and, and because we are a newer industry, like the ability to power things through technology in our industry versus what, you know, some of the legacy things are still happening in places that have been around forever, like alcohol or CPG, like it's, you know, you're actually able to bring transformative ways of doing business to the table, which, you know, you couldn't dream about doing in, in some of these more well-established industries because of all of the legacy restrictions and rules and culture of ways of doing things that I, I think actually this this industry provides, you know, entrepreneurs the ability to, to really cut through and to do some special things. And um, and again, I, it's, it, I do find that in many ways, this, we are a very technology focused, you know, oriented business. I mean, again, I, I, I started, you know, I, as I kind of was telling you my, or, our origin story earlier, I mean, the e-commerce, you know, business and the way it's shopping online in cannabis right now versus any other industry, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, even the smallest, even the smallest players have great, you know, have the ability for you to have a great online experience and, uh, and, and get the, and get things fulfilled and have, you know, all of those orders directly integrated with your POS system. So it's there for you to pick up, you know, immediately, you know, I mean, you know, try to order your grocery stores from your local mom and pop retail and it's just not happening, you know, and, you know, and so there's some really cool things I think that, you know, because of the fact that we did emerge later in the, uh, the grand scheme of things, you know, that have given, you know, cannabis a technology advantage. Yeah, for sure. Well, you also, probably got to look at some of the things that people were using that didn't work quite as well. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about like working on the policy side is you know, I yep. tell people like, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's look at what's worked and what hasn't worked and then overlay it with, you know, what we think <laughs> would be good, you know, because there's, Completely. yeah, there's just, there's no, it's moving so fast. There's no, I don't think anyone has the time or the patience to start from ground zero, although some people try. And, yep. um, you know, that, that just never seems to work out as well. But when we are looking at, like, leveraging data and insights, what are some of the important things that people should consider? I, I mean, I, I would say, you know, first and foremost, and I, I talked about it earlier, is, you know, the, the actionability of the data. What are you going to do with the data itself? Like it, you should not be buying data just to provide it to your boss. So you can tell them if this business is going up or going down, right? Like you should be buying data with a purpose and it's, you know, and, and you should know how that, that data can be landed in your business to help drive those actions that you're looking for. And, and like, so that, that would be number one is just to make sure that the data assets or the information that you're bringing in, you know, are, are there with a very specific purpose. And then, you know, you know, 
that you have a culture that's going to be able to take action as a result of that. So I, I mean, that would be that would be number one. Um, you know, num- number two is is somewhat related, which is kind of just ensuring that you have a a culture that is 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 going to be um, you know it it's going to be able to actually make decisions based off of the data, right? So it's good that you have it. So you've got the best data in the world. It's very actionable, but now you have to put it in the hands of, you know, in some cases, a, you know, a 25 year old bud tender, you know, who, you know, who previously had worked at a convenience store, you know, and, and I, I know I'm not being fair to some amazing bud tenders out there by, you know, with that analogy, but, you know, but there, it, you know, there are some that are very technology forward and are, are willing to go down a certain path. There are some that, you know, they are incredible with relationships and, and institutional knowledge about the flower and strains and all of this kind of rich data. And, you know, and it, it's going to be important, you know, for you to ensure that as a culture that you, you are, you know, are, are having the, the metrics and you're putting the metrics in place to allow your people to be making those data-driven decisions at, at the point where it matters. Um, and, and, you know, and that's, that's the, those are probably the two sides. Like one, just make sure you have that actionable data that's rich and that you can trust um, and that, you know, can be part of your business. And I, one of my favorite analogies is like, you know, le- leveraging data or leveraging hoodies should be just like taking a shower in the morning. You know, it should just be part of, part of your everyday life. It should, it shouldn't be something you think about. Um, but then the, you know, the, the follow on to that is you've got to make sure that you've got the, the, the toolkit and the culture in, in, within your business to actually leverage, you know, leverage that data and that you're willing to, you're willing to put processes in place to, to make sure that that happens. Um, and again, I, and, and companies that do that are willing to in, invest and make the, you know, make that happen. They will be more successful. It's not, that's not a qualitative statement I'm making. There's, there is gobs of data out there that show the, you know, the incremental revenue and, and, and EBITDA that your business will achieve if you embrace data and technology and, and, and analytics um, in, in your decision-making process. So yeah. those, are the, those are the two things, actionability and culture. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It seems like those coupled with, you know, it's like we have, there's that, like you said, everybody's going online. There's also that social media presence, which is a challenge, you know, because yep. we aren't we aren't federally legal yet. But it seems like in many ways, you know, when we're looking at, you know, we're looking at ROI, we're looking at SEO, we're, you know, establishing ourselves and not necessarily because of the constraints of what we can talk about is more of like lifestyle brands and capturing people's imaginations. Like, I, I want to do that. I want to try that. I want to be that. I am that. And when you, yep. what are you seeing around, where, where do you see like the reporting that you do around ROI and and things like SEO, like how do they how do they work together in a way to create more a more successful revenue model? Well, I I think the the one thing that we are and you know this is a you know this is something that I I don't think is done enough of right now is to is to try to really start putting value on the you know on on the elements of a brand that ultimately are going to can compel someone to be willing to pay a bit more for it to drive a bit further to get it right and to be recommending it to others and you know in the cpg world you know all of that can be pulled together into a concept called brand equity right i want to build my brand such that you know it's brand equity you know is is going to you know ultimately command me that that higher margin and ultimately it's going to it's going to grow my business and then i can build innovations and things off of that um and I, I think that I think that concept is is really is where those those worlds are going to start colliding. Right? Like we need to, as an industry, figure out our whole brand building process and and to figure out how how we can really start you know creating those that differentiation of a you know of an eighth an eighth of cannabis that or an eighth of flour that's going to you know that someone would be buying you know, be willing to pay. $30 for versus the eighth of flour that, you know, someone might be willing to pay $130 for. And, and those that's starting to happen, um, you know, and, you know, but, um, but kind of decomposing the elements that like would be, uh, you know, that, that would cause a customer to be able to be willing to do that. 
um, and into some sort of a, a formula or a system, I, I think is is going to be you know one of the paths that people are going to follow. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean the the fun example that I use I've used quite a few times in uh, you know with with talking about brand is you know and you look at candles as a as a simple example and you can get a candle at Walmart for ninety nine cents. That same candle is available at Bed Bath and Beyond for fourteen ninety nine. Um, and then you can get a candle off of Etsy that smells like Disneyland and it costs you $59.99 and it's the same, it's the same candle, right? But it's the experience, right? I, I'm going to be willing to spend $60 for a candle that makes that gives me the experience of, of, of Disneyland when I light it up. Right. And, uh, and so where does, you know, where is that opportunity for us in, in cannabis and can we capture that? Can we measure that? Can we track it? And, you know, and, and start to figure out, figuring out, you know, what consumers are looking for that are going to drive those new innovations that will command those premiums and, uh, and then figuring, you know, and then obviously, you know, from a targeting side, you know, all the, all the marketers are going to need to figure out where do I, how do I get them? So, you know, things that you want and you might pay $130 for an eighth might be different than what, you know, your neighbor would be willing to pay $130 for an eighth for. And so, you know, so that whole process of creating segmentation and applying that segmentation to every part of, you know, of the way you're doing business, you know, so I know that if I, you know, if, if I, my product is in this dispensary, they have these kinds of consumers and they're going to sell a lot of this $130 uh, eighth because, you know, these consumers are looking for this specific attribute and they shop at that store. Um, and then you need to be able to reach them through marketing channels. And so that's that's where this whole concept of consumer behavior is going to become, I think, very rich and relevant in this space. Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, it's really it's really interesting to be able to just see how much everything has grown and also like taking into consideration that, you know, what people used to perceive the average cannabis user as being is very different than the reality. Like, I had no idea. When I when I started working in the dispensary, you know, it's like people will, you know, they still talk about that. Like, oh, seniors are like the largest growing market of cannabis users. And I'm, yeah. like, oh, I'm like, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I saw so many gray hairs when I first started. It blew me away. But it's, you know, when yeah. I, like when I teach my seniors in cannabis class, I always tell them, I like I pull up the myths and one of the myths is that they're the largest growing group. And I'm like, you know, some of you may not have used it, but you definitely knew somebody who did. A lot of you grew up in the 60s and you all yeah. existed during the time of the war on drugs. So you weren't telling anyone your business. And he, no. he, usually I get a lot of grins when <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you know you you may not have tried it it may not have been your cup of tea but it wasn't that you didn't know it existed and you you've yeah. definitely been around it but it, it also you know just looking at like um different markets and different things that are available like when i when i teach i get people from all over the world attending um but you know the majority of the people are in the united states and in canada and one of the things that people always say to me, because when I'm using product examples, I'm using California products. And some of these things aren't allowed in other states. And when I, when I travel yep. and I do lectures on education and, and policy, one of the things that I talk to policymakers about, because it seems like the modes of use, the way they decide what's allowed and what's not allowed is very arbitrary. And it's based on stigma and culture rather than fact. And talking yeah. about we need all these different ways to use it because our bodies metabolize them different. We all metabolize cannabis differently. So there's going to be a different product that creates a good fit for each person. And, and then there's that yeah. conversation about some people just cannabis just is not for them. And that's that's reality and that's okay. But when you're seeing like when you're looking at the data and you're looking, I know you you see a lot of different states and you're in Canada as well. What are you seeing in different markets that you find interesting as far as like growth with like different products, modes of use? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, Chris, so, you know. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Um, I, I mean, listen, I, I mean, at its, at its core, um, you know, I, it, there, there obviously are, are very different, you know, there, 
there are different. Yeah, if I if I look at market shares of different categories and formats, you know, by state, they're all over the board. And and you know, to your point, a lot of that does come from just regulatory history. You know, edibles are not very big in Pennsylvania because they are not allowed. You know, and so um, you know, so so you have you know you have a lot of the regulatory decisions that are that are driving that the you know the differences in modality. Um, you know, and I honestly I. I don't have a great answer for this, but I, I do think that's still, I think your, your thesis is probably correct. And a lot of that is, has come from just the, the nature of, you know, the, what was easy to make, you know, the specific brands and MSOs that kind of drove the initial adoption in the, you know, in the market, um, as opposed to like a consumer driven, you know, a consumer driven pull of, uh, of formats and modalities. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know, the the thing that that does fascinate me right now and my team is 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 less around the individual products and formats and differences by state. Um, you know, because like again, those those are those are are there. It's important to look at. Um, you know, but you know, I, I think I think a lot of them still just are driven by you know the history and the legacy in the space. Um, you know, somewhat less so in things like looking at pricing, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so, you know, one of the things that we've, you know, we've been looking at recently is just, you know, the the, the differences in in price points of a, you know, of a, you know, an eighth of flower, you know, within a, a given market, you know, across states. There's huge swings, right? It's a lot of that's, you know, certainly from the availability of, you know, or just, I mean, sorry, the different tax regulations and, uh, and the cost um, that exists for you know in a, in a given market based off the, the the licensing costs that might exist in a one state versus another and the cost to actually produce. Um, so there's some legitimate you know differences that are driving price. but you know this the swings are significant enough, right that it does you know it, it's why you know these these illicit markets continue to exist and thrive because the price gaps are so, you know, are so significant right now. Um, and I, and I think that's something that we're going to be, it's going to be interesting to continue to monitor. Um, cause I, I do think, you know, there is going to be a, a point in the future where, you know, taking product from one state to another is possible and encouraged. And, you know, we're going to start seeing that commonality of pricing happen, uh, in the same way that it has with every other industry. And, you know, but right now, you know, the differences in price do drive very different, you know, purchase behaviors, you know, for consumers, you know, if you've only got a couple hundred bucks to spend, you know, in, uh, you know, on, on cannabis, you know, for the next month, you know, your choice is going to be, is going to be limited based off of what is possible for, for you to buy with that $200. And, uh, and that's, that's something that, you know, I, I think we will start to see, um, you know, come to a head as, you know, more, you know, regulations are removed and, and, you know, we come closer to uh, a federally, a world where things can be shifted shifted across states more easily. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what interstate commerce does. I'm also wondering, one of the things that I always think about too, because we saw this when we went into adult use in California, was that was when all of the excise tax and all the cultivation yep. tax and all that got thrown in. And so people I've been working with for years their their purchasing habits definitely changed, especially if they, you know, because these were people that were also using it medicinally. So they're like, okay, well, yep. I have needs and I've got to like stretch this to see, you know, what's going on. Um, but I, I wonder. And your like, format changes too, right? Your yeah. format changes, like so. Oh, sure. You know, that's it's it's calling it's causing unnatural changes to what you you may not be your preference, but. To your point, to stretch this out further, I need to make some. I need to make some changes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you know, at that time, because we went from there were there was very very few companies did packaged flour at that time. Yeah. And then everything was packaged, and that was when somebody would look at me, and you know, especially like some of the companies like like Candescent at that time had a it was the jar came in a large box with rolling papers, matches, and a, and a hemp wick. Yep. And people would look at me, they'd be like, is this why it's so expensive? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's only a small portion of why it's become more expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, let me give you a little Stoner Civics 101. How do we come to a certain <laughs> price? Yeah. <laughs> 
And then I've also been surprised, too, because we have people who have been established in this industry for a very long time. But we often forget that when we have, we have our own interests. And as human beings, we see things through a certain lens. So like yep. when, when cannabis drinks were, were starting to get a little bit more popular, because back in the day, 215 days, you know, a lot of the drinks were really gross. So, yep. you know, it was like, it was like really holding your nose and taking your medicine. So they weren't as popular. Some people like them, but by and large, you weren't seeing as many people biting at that. But now with, you know, nano emulsions and just like all the creativity yep. that goes into it. I remember talking about, you know, how I was excited to see people trying it and somebody else who's been in the industry He's been in a little longer than I have, but he was just like, I'm really surprised to see you you into that because it's low dosage and I don't think it's going to go. I think it's going to be a joke. And I was like, but what you're forgetting is that you're considering the population that you interact with every day. And yeah, if somebody's more of a heady, they're probably not going to be picking up a canned beverage because they'll be able to drink that like Kool-Aid. But there's a yeah. whole other group of people that are becoming engaged with cannabis and cannabis culture is not a singular thing now. It's, it's, it's very different. And I find that fascinating, especially then when the data comes out to like back it up, it's like, yeah, it's, it's one of the bigger markets, especially when you're looking at people who, you know, may either don't feel like drinking anymore, don't drink anymore, or choosing not to partake at that time, or just prefer to use cannabis, because that's kind of like, I love wine and stuff, but I'm definitely more of a cannabis person these days. You know, and it's it's nice to have something that is in a format that's more social. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're spot on with the with beverages. Like I you know, I even look in my own my own circle, like I you know, I've got plenty of plenty of buddies who are uh you know they're they're on uh on milligram levels that i could not tolerate you know remotely every single day and you know and 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 they 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 will very commonly you know have those have drinks available you know because it is a social thing and you know and and they know that you know people that are newer to the the plants um you know are are it's more socially acceptable they're w more willing to give it a try and you know and, and listen there's different experiences obviously that come with with each each one of those but it, it's not on I, th I think the social element and the comfort level of it being like having a glass of wine and i could have a couple of these you know i think is the is going to be key to really some some new new customers coming into the space and i i think that's what a lot of these beverage companies are counting on yeah, I think it's really exciting. And then, you know, it's like for every success with something like that, <laughs> you get an unfortunate fail like a couple years ago. And I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember seeing this, but there was a product called Cannabums out for a while. And I was like, what was it? I don't know this. Oh, what it was, was it? It was called Cannabumps and it was powdered snortable THC. Oh, geez. <laughs> it didn't last enough to pull the data, but I would love to see. <laughs> I don't even know how we would classify that. I'm not, I'm thinking back to my data. I'm like, oh, how do we, how is that classified? Is that a tincture? I, like, I don't know how we classify that. I know. I know. Because it would yeah. be like, I mean, <laughs> technically it's an inhalable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. But I was like, oh, oh no. That's going to be triggering for several people. Yes, seriously. <laughs> but, you know, you got to give them credit for innovating. They're just throwing something, you know, against the wall and seeing if it sticks. But that's, I think, just like going back to the product, that's like, that must be a really good tool for using your data as well. It's just really seeing what resonates for people when people are considering developing products. Do you, do you have people who will tap into your data when they're in that stage? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, big time. And you know, and the other, the other thing, I, I mean, so yes. Yeah. You know, so when you're looking at trends, like you can dissect and slice or dice your data to see, you know, what's growing, what's not, you know, are there some emerging flavors or terpenes or, you know, whatever that's, that's really taking off. Um, but the other the other thing is is leveraging our data to really understand the, the the success measures once you go to market, you know. And again, back to that experimental concept, you know, you can you can have three four different launches, you know, with variations. And as long as you can track, you know, the 
that you know where you're sending that product you know you can start seeing are consumers searching for one versus another online uh, you know and then what are they actually acquiring so you know and, you know it's nice another nice thing about about the space is it you know it doesn't cost you know, once you have the license it doesn't cost that much to put a new innovative product in the market and you know so the ability to kind of test and experiment you know to figure that out is 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 it's very much there and and we obviously do a lot of tracking of those new those new products um, and one of the things that we're we're really good at is is helping you know allowing brands to let their customers know where they can find their their new products and so we've got a you know we've got a product locator it's called ask askhoodie.com so a s k h o o d i e.com um, and you know you can go on there and basically it's a library of every product that exists in every dispensary around the country and you know so and it's updated every single day so it's always fresh um, and you know so you know in, you know a lot of our a lot of our brands will kind of white label that 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 platform to allow their product you know their customers to go onto their onto their sites and find immediately where they can find these new innovations and and, and so it's a, it's a great way of not only you know seeing what works but also if you're a brand you know pushing traffic to your dispensary partners who are traveling who are who are buying the product from you just to make sure that you've got this avenue for success and so anyway that's a it's a one of the bigger use cases of our data that's happening right now that's very cool you know i come back to our conversation you were mentioning the fact that you know we have a, a very large traditional slash illicit market and yep. you know w there are some very talented you know cultivators and entrepreneurs that are in that space but one of the biggest problems especially here in california is the high cost of entry into the legal market yep. and so we have you know through the years there have been some really strong well thought out brands that are smaller that we've lost due to you know, constraints with cash flow and just not being able to keep up with, you know, <laughs> the regs that are constantly changing. I'm so glad That's I'm not right. a compliance person. <laughs> but, <laughs> I you, cannot imagine anything worse. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's like my our, our compliance officer. I'm like, whatever you need, whatever you need. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make your life as easy as possible because I know you're dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's got the patience of a saint. But, you know, when we're looking at like smaller companies and data, how affordable and accessible is it for smaller companies to be able to utilize these tools that, you know, of course, MSOs have much more, you know, access yep. because they have, you know, more cash flow. So it, the short answer is our, our product is built to allow scaling up and, you know, scaling down. So, you know, if a small brand just wants, you know, and if, I mean, yeah, I won't, I won't name them on the cat, but the, you know, there's a dispensary in the upper peninsula that we we're talking about earlier, <laughs> you know, that, you know, My hometown. A, yeah. Yeah. They're, a, you know, they're, they're great. Right. And, and they've got, great access to what's happening in the upper peninsula right and they don't necessarily care about what's happening in mainland michigan and you know and the rest and the rest of the country we like, never they are cared really what's happening in mainland michigan <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you know but i mean that's that's an example of like we can slice the world so it's it, it becomes very attainable and accessible for you know for folks like that that just that don't they don't need to understand they don't care what the newest products are being launched in Pennsylvania. You know? They just want to know what's happening in the Upper Peninsula, and uh, and so you know it, it's everything we have can scale up and scale down, and you know, and then you know, I, I mean, like the our you know our product locators stuff like that I mentioned. I mean, we've got we've got some very small brands, and you know, spending a couple hundred bucks a month on something like that, and you know, so there's there you know, and at, at the end of the day, you know, it, as we mentioned earlier, it's all about, all about ROI and, you know, and there's, there, sure, there is a cost of doing, of accessing the data, you know, no matter if you're big or small, if you want access to every data point that we have across the entire country, every single day, it's going to cost some money, you know, <laughs> right. um, but, you know, again, if you're, if you're looking at what, what data you need to, to make these decisions that you, you know, that you have to make, um, you know, chances are you're going to be able to, you know, to, to partake in a, in a very accessible price point that will, 
allow you to start moving the needle and, and get great ROI for it. And, you know, and again, that, the nice part, you know, we, you know, the, the uh, you know, our fun, our little slogan that we tend to use is we, you know, our goal is to be tracking every product and every dispensary in every state, every single day. And, you know, and so with that level of granularity, you know, we can, you know, we can come, piecemeal out the, the, the bits of data that are relevant for your business and, you know, allow you to to still, you know, move in that data-driven decision direction, but without without having to buy the entire country, you know, or the entire state even. That's awesome. I was just thinking like, you know, it's like I, I have a great, I have a great love for my home state as a whole after being away. I'm always curious to see if they're doing the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula, but like it's, you know, when we talk about culture, I mean, there's a real example of same state, yeah. very different cultures. Uber culture oh, yeah. is very yeah. different than lower Michigan. They don't really care what the city folks are doing down there. They got their yeah. own stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, I remember when I was going to school at NMU, we would have people who would come from like lower peninsula and they would spend fall semester with us. Couldn't yeah. hack the winter never came back for the winter semester. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole yeah. different way of life. Oh, it is, it is. And I always loved it when they'd be like, I'm from Detroit, and I'd be like, you're from Sterling Heights. <laughs> Shut it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're wrapping it up. Like When you're looking at the industry as a whole in the future, what are some of the things that you're the most excited about? I, I I am I am looking forward to just more you know, a continued evolution of of the industry to realize that there is great data here that can arm our decision making and you know and I I think that's you know that is an evolution that we're going to keep we're going to continue to have and and I I think in conjunction with that I mean, there's a lot of players in the space that are, you know, and the technology side of the world, you know, that are really focused on trying to create easier data connections such that, you know, everything becomes part of, of your system and the way that you're doing business. And I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So, you know, having the hoodie data connect into a leaf trade or a leaf link and, the, and then have that connect in your e-commerce platform or your POS system and having all of those connection points. To, to take the burden of doing that integration and, and having to figure out what do I use from what part off of the, you know, off of the hands or out of the hands of the operator and to, to really put the data in more in an as needed and fit for purpose, you know, level because the integrations are created. And, and I think you're going to start seeing a lot, a lot more of that. Um, you know, and then, and then the third is, you know, is, is, you know, we talked about this earlier, but I, I really am, I really believe that we're going to start moving towards a world of brand building and, you know, back to, you know, my example of, uh, you know, my Disneyland candle, like what, what's the, what does that look like for, you know, for cannabis and, you know, and what, what are those things that are, you know, what are those innovations that are come are going to come in, in, you know, whatever shape and form they come in that are going to be compelling people to be willing to pay a bit more, you know, for a certain experience or for a certain a certain feeling um, or, you know, and, and so that, that's really where I see, I see the world coming. And I think when we can get there, then we are going to start, you know, being able to be much closer to, uh, you know, to a CPG, you know, type of industry where, you know, you've got a lot of strong delineation across brands. You've got super premium, you've got your premium, you've got your value, you've got your sub value and, and, and there's money to be made across that entire value system. And, you know, and ultimately that's that, and, you know, then we're going to obviously see hopefully with increased legalization, just more people coming into the space and moving them up that, up that, that chain and everyone, everyone's making more money. And I think that's, that, I mean, that's where we're going. And I, I believe data and technology is going to be a key enabler to making that happen. Yeah. 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 Brand building creates conversation conversations normalization i'm really excited to see 10 years from now where we're at not only in the states but internationally it'll be really interesting to see interstate commerce and then i'm really curious to see if we go beyond that 
I I would I would love I would love to see that. I'm, uh, I'm I keep my my previous role was like very global, so I was traveling all over the world. <laughs> and, uh, I will tell you, I can't wait for that world to open up again. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to crunch those numbers with joy, aren't you? (laughs) I know, I know. Yeah, my partner's in Portugal right now. I think he's knocking on some doors to see what he can do there. But, uh, you know, we've we've still got some work to do. (laughs) That's awesome. For people who want to stay in touch and follow you on social media or reach out for information, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, check us out. Uh, a consumer site would be that askhoodie.com. Ask um, so uh, we, I would encourage you to go out there and find the products that you need and you're looking for. Um, and then, you know, if you're looking for anything else, it's Hoodie Analytics. And uh, it's just Hoodie, H-O-O-D-I-E, Analytics. And you can find us on our, on our URL, our domain at hoodieanalytics.com or hashtag Hoodie Analytics for any of your favorite social platforms. Awesome. And for those of you listening, remember, Planted is twice a month, and you can find us on social media. We are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook, on IG, and Twitter. We are Planted with Sarah. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. And of course, you can listen to any of our past episodes on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, out of Chicago. Also, if you like an episode, share it, review it. We want to hear what you think. And if there's someone that you want to hear from on our show, this podcast is for you. So drop us a line. Let us know what you want to see, what you want to hear. And stay tuned for this fall for some really neat new surprises. Actually, we are in fall, but we're going to have some great (laughs) surprises coming up. So stay tuned for that. Chris, thanks so much for being with me today. It was just a pleasure talking with you, and I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation as the industry develops and seeing the exciting things that you're doing. Hey, likewise, Sarah. And I'm going to take you up on that wine dinner that we're having next time I'm in California. You have to. You have to. I'm in the Bay, so (laughs) you just let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. For everyone out there, it's a crazy world out there. Be good to each other, stay safe, and most importantly, stay curious. Until next time, Sarah Pion signing out. Take care, everybody. 